I'll be reading from the King James Version this morning, Luke 14, beginning at verses 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said to them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, set if not down first, and counteth the cost? whether he has sufficient to finish it. Lest haply, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began, a, began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king set it down first and cons- consulted whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth a ambush and desireth conditions of peace. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be that is, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. I read in your hearing this morning from Luke, the 14th chapter, beginning with verses 25 through verses 33. May the Lord add a blessing on the reading, those that have heard his message and those that do his will. Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be in your presence this morning. My name is Ryan Bittekoffer. For those of you that are visiting today, I do youth and family here. We have an amazing opportunity coming up in the fall. We will have a fall family retreat that you are all invited to. This is an area-wide event. We now have seven or eight congregations on board. We're inviting more. We're excited about that, and we want you to come and join in. There is an adult track, a teen track, and we just had a request that we're formulating and seeing if we can deliver for a young children's track. So if you are a younger family... There is a room. We have plenty of room at camp to use. We're just seeing if we can put the team together to carry that part out. The rest is already um, very well into the works of planning. I give credit to Royal and Audrey. They are the initial thrust behind this. Um, I am just the guy that puts a bow tie on it and and makes sure the rest of the pieces work together. They have done an amazing job, so I want to give them credit for where credit is due. If you are in my Bible class this morning... 
make sure you read the bulletin article. It will be uh, much, uh, much in line with what we discussed and give you a little bit more detail uh, in terms of you were made by God, science supports the existence of God, and definitely creation cries out that God is real, he exists, and he wants to have a relationship with you. If you're with us online also, welcome. We're glad that you're here, and we pray for you. I know my mom is at home. She's on antibiotics for a couple of weeks, and so she wanted to watch us online. So shout out to mom and all of the rest that are viewing us. We're glad that you're with us as well. Well, what is your definition of success? If you think about this question... Ask yourself, what do you mean when you say success? Is it that we are arriving in a Bentley? I'm a Benz man myself. I have been since high school. But you know, in the, little, the life's little book of instructions, it says, don't be surprised at people that look, you know, that like gawk, you know, when the car goes by. We used to live in Scottsdale, and around Fashion Square, there would always be something driving by, and we'd go, ooh, ah. He said, because not everybody can afford that, and if everybody could, nobody would think it was special. Maybe you're not a car guy, maybe you're a house person, and you're like, I, I want to live in uh, a farm-style house with the farm-style sinks. Uh, we wa- One time uh, during LTC, Michelle and I twirled a, a $5 million French mansion, and they were so adamant about all of the marble work, all of the stone work was imported from an old farmhouse in France. And we were like, we're still not going to buy it. (laughs) But what is your definition of success? Would you like to have success at anything that you do? Well, of course we would. Well, I would too, in my own way. Nobody really sets out in their life with the intention to fail. But we do make choices and we do have free will. And when we make those free will choices, that does, means that we also accept that there will be consequences from those choices, whether they're good or bad. Whether they're imposed on us or they're just natural consequences from what our choice would naturally lead to. But I would imagine many times when we do fail, it's not because we weren't trying, it's because we refused to step back before we entered into that choice, entered into that decision, and we made a plan so that that decision and those series of decisions would lead towards success. To put it simply, when you count the cost, you plan ahead. You take inventory of everything that needs to happen for you to pursue a goal. Do you remember this uh, little picture from Stephen Covey? If you ever look at and read his book about the seven habits of highly successful people, this is one of the most interesting uh, things that I've ever read in terms of the rocks. Now, as you may, if you've ever watched him do his own videos, uh, he talks about these rocks and he shows you, and maybe you've seen other like YouTubes and whatnot that have this, but I remember going through the Franklin Covey, you know, series on planning. And this was one of the video things that stuck out to me. It says, it doesn't mean that we have every single detail light out, but what it does mean is that we know which are the big rocks that go in first. 
And then what are the smaller you know, pebbles, what are the things that need to go in second, so that when we start getting down into the granular details, we've made sure that the largest and most important things are in the jar. In order to accomplish something and be successful, you've got to put in the big rocks first, as Stephen Covey would say. You have to count the cost. And this isn't a new concept. I'm not preaching anything that you haven't heard before. The term count the cost, oh, that just died. The term count the cost is not a new term. We get this from scripture. We read about this in scripture to count the costs, and we think about Jesus when he laid down this principle of thinking ahead, planning ahead, and being able to make sure that whatever we put forth in our endeavors will, be, will come to fruition. And when you, when you read about this in Scripture, what's so amazing to me when counting the costs is that you have to count the cost and plan ahead. So in Luke 14 in your Bibles, I want you to think about something that Jesus said. He said the church has to be willing, individuals in that church have to be willing to die to themselves. And you can get a sense that the, the, the followers of Jesus, they didn't really think ahead of these things. And they needed to have this lesson to count ahead, to look ahead and ask, what do I need to do? And Jesus lays down and says, you've got to think about this. If you're going to follow after me, what did he say in Matthew? He says, if any man follow after me, he must do what? Die to himself, take up his cross and follow after me. How much of a commitment does that require? And you know the old joke about the pig and the chicken, right? For the, for the chicken, it's a one-time commitment. For the pig, it's a whole life, right? And so when we look at Scripture and we think about this, Jesus is asking, which one do you want to be? Are you going to go all the way? And when you, when you plan and you ask yourself to make that commitment to Christ, that commitment to the life of following and being a Christian, it is an all-the-way commitment. It's all the way in. And we must ask ourselves, do we want to die to ourselves and to be raised to walk in newness of life, knowing that we've clothed ourselves in Christ and really decided to follow after Him? When you ask yourself that, the problems that start, you know, it's something that goes, you know, when you make a decision, there will be challenges. How many of you have challenges in your workplace? How many of you have challenges in your uh, personal life? How many of you have challenges that, that cause you to ask, could I really commit to the full mile of my Christian faith all the way to the end? Can I actually say I will go all the way to the very end? Did I consider what it would actually cost me? Did I look at some blueprints? Did I make a plan? Did I ask myself when I, walked, when I wanted to become a Christian, is this something that's right, good, and true? But I realize God is asking a lot from me. Because he's asking me to say, all of you, all of me, when we dive into this. Do we look at blueprints when it comes to building buildings? Do we look at blueprints when it comes to the builder of the tower? And he says, do I have enough money to finish? I remember this story very, very clearly in uh, Shanghai when we lived there. So you know when you look at the, the picture of the skyline of the Pudong area, that's pretty well finished. But if you were to turn around and look at the original skyline, which was the Bund, 
that in the background they were building several buildings there. And they had this one building that was so funny because you can see it. It's now finished. But it's a building that's very tall, about 60 stories tall. And it has four big triangles that come to a point with a ball that sits on top. And it's called, in English, Tomorrow Square. Or in Chinese, Mingtian. Right? Tomorrow. And I remember clear as day, there was this big snafu of them starting this project and not being able to finish it. And it sat in languish for two years in the Chinese courts. So the joke in Shanghai was, well, when can we finish this? And they said, well, Mingtian, tomorrow. When are you going to finish Tomorrow Square? Tomorrow. So you can imagine what it must have been like to those that were developing this and how uh, frustrating that must have been. They didn't consider what would it take to actually follow through all the way to the end. Many individuals and even churches, they don't plan. They don't ask uh, God. We're planning for growth. We want to make more room for people. We have this decision, uh, this command in Scripture that we have to make a decision on to go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach everything that Jesus commanded. Jesus left us the model. He left us what to do. Did He tell us exactly how to do it? That's a question we have to ask because for the most part, it's an individual study. It's a one-on-one thing. But it's also a lifestyle. It's also the influence you have on your co-workers and your friends. He gave us, this is what we're to do. But some of us, we like to write emails. Some of us are better at outlining and lesson plans. Others are better at that cup of coffee discussion. But we have to find out our how. We have the blueprint to follow. We have the blueprint to follow. His death, burial, and resurrection... But he told them, he says, wait a minute until you receive power from on high. Wait till you receive that Holy Spirit. Go into Jerusalem and be patient. And guess what happened? They, they had learned the teachings. They'd spent 40 days with Jesus as resurrected. They, they go in and they're waiting. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit lights on them. And they're speaking in languages, right, that others can understand with all these people that were coming in. And he said, you're going to be my witnesses where? Here in Jerusalem and then outside, what? To the ends of the earth. How many languages is the Bible printed in? Almost a lot, right? Over 100, 127 that I can think of. But that, that took planning, that took time to come about. That took translators to work on translations to make sure there was accurate translations so others could be reading that word and ingesting that for themselves. For John baptized you with water in Acts, chapter, in, in Acts, in this passage, right before he ascends into heaven. And I ba- he baptizes you with water, but I'm going to baptize you with the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit marking us to counsel, to comfort, to guide into what? All truth. Speaking through that scriptures to help us. But that's the genius of the simplicity of what you see in scripture. That's the genius of our God. It's amazing. He gives us this great commission. He gives us the model. And then we take that model and we apply it to our individual lives and to those that we work with. I've been in many studies, many Bible studies. I've had lots of questions that come out being the same, but I've had some curveballs that were amazing. And I thank God for them because it challenges me to grow back and dig into the scriptures and say, 
what do I really believe about this issue or that issue? One issue that we've been talking about as a family, I mean, is how do you talk about the one true church without coming across as cold and and deflective of other people who might be seeking? How do you love people into the fold who might be doing everything as close as they can do and you're just going almost, let's study some more. How can I help you to get that next mile, right? That next step. Because you're very close and maybe we can't force them to commit, but what could I lay out before you that you could think about to help you take that next step and really actually get it? Really have the light bulb go off. Really have them come to a knowledge of the truth so that they can be in the right obedience to Christ and be able to follow after him. Do you ever notice something about the Suzuki model? Um, there, it's been kind of really uh, put down a lot. But you know in the Suzuki model, the, the master will play, the violinist will play, and then the student, what do they do? They just model that person. They don't necessarily have to read music right away. Eventually they learn to, to read music, but the first thing they do is they start getting the skill, and they do it as a complete package. And after several lessons, maybe after a year or two, all of a sudden this kid's starting to play pieces. They're starting to actually demonstrate their musical skill. And then you can get into more of the granular detail. Ask yourself from our first slide that had the rocks. What are the most important rocks that we need for people to be able to model to be a part of the fellowship? How would we welcome them in knowing that there are lots of people on a continuum... And I'm so mature, and you're so mature, and there's others that are way more mature than I am in the faith. But then there's other people who they don't even know that, the, that there is a pathway that they can get on. They're lost in darkness. But they're hurt, they're seeking. There's an opening where you could say something, where you could share something, where you could invite them into something. The genius of the simplicity of the gospel is it's meant to, be, to fill in and, and all the different ways that it can possibly be filled in. Reaching out to people in ways that are amazing. And you look at 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says this, I became a slave to all, becoming what is needed to share the gospel. Did he change the gospel? No. Did he discount the gospel or omit parts of the gospel? No. But you look at how in Acts 17, where Paul speaks to a group of philosophers who thought they had it all. They had the knowledge. And they were worshiping all of these gods to make sure they didn't miss one. And in fact, they didn't want to miss one, so they put, well, what if there's an unknown one that we didn't know about? Let's just cover that base. Paul gets up and he approaches to them in the way that would reach to that particular crowd. He says, look, you guys think you have all this religiosity. Let me make this unknown God known to you. And what did he say? This God commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. He became a slave to all. He has a debtor to other people, owing them the gospel, owing them a life of a Christian lived, shining the light to them. He found a way to reach. And remember, when he left that room, some, that platform, some people didn't like it, but others followed him. How many times was he speaking in a synagogue and they didn't like what he was saying, but yet there were followers that came to a knowledge of the truth. There were people that were baptized. There were churches that were established. But the way that he spoke to those in Ephesus might not have been exactly the same that he spoke in Corinth. 
reaching people in a way that would get to them. Why would Titus have to go to Crete and speak Cretan? Because you know who Cretans are, right? And yet Timothy would be sent back to Ephesus, a different context. Becoming a slave so that such might be saved. Nehemiah prayed for six months, right? For, for months saying, I want to go back and rebuild. I am, my heart is heavy because Jerusalem sits destroyed. Our people are scattered. And I want to see something to change. But then when he gets ready to go and he finally has the blessing to go and the support and the supplies to go, then he goes and he challenges those that have come with him, rebuild this wall. Go back, build your home up. Go back, stand in the gap and fill that gap because we're not going to be a city until we're a protected city with a wall. And we're not going to have even the foundation of rebuilding until we can start that process and get that part done. Do you all know how many days that it took them to build that wall and finish it? 52 days. I know much of it was still there, but still, 52 days in order to complete that task. It must have taken time. It must have taken time to put together a plan to make that plan work. Because that's the rubber of, of, of our ideas, meeting the road of life and actually carrying something out. Because ultimately we have to complete the plan that we're starting. We can't treat plans like an option, but instead think of them as a requirement. And sometimes we end up losing momentum when we think of something and we don't really step out and start it. Maybe you're trying to change. Maybe it's a diet issue. Maybe it's a spiritual issue that you're working on to clear something off your heart. If I just say, I want to be a better Christian, I want to be more faithful, I want to be more liked, whatever it is, but we don't do anything about it, all the thinking in our head doesn't mean anything until we put down that plan and make it actually become a reality. Notice that this is why the Hebrew writer would say, don't give up meeting together. There's an energy, there's a momentum from gathering together as a body and moving together in a forward-like direction where we have this common goal of seeing as many people saved as possible and edifying the saved that are here. Don't forsake the assembly as the habit of some, but what? Encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We don't know when the end of time is, but we do know that there will be an end. We know that we will have an end. And so they took what I call the long view. They took the long view to make a plan, to sit there and pray about it, to think about it, to make sure that you've got the resources to be able to accomplish it. And whether it be winning a battle against a, a, a foe or making peace with a foe, making peace in your heart with something in your past, or whether it's building something new, to take the time to know that what we've started... I don't think that, that, that Jesus thought that churches would be built instantly. He just knew that when the gospel was preached... People would be saved, and then they would form churches, and those churches would become places everywhere where people of like mind could gather together and worship God in unity. 
And they could share the love that, that He wants all of mankind to have. And I don't think that God has come back yet. I mean, I, I don't think so. I haven't seen it. But there are people that try to predict the end of the world. There's people that try to tell you there's a certain way you can monkey your way into heaven. You have denominations that try to say, well, if you just give me enough money, I'll make sure you're okay. That idea comes from the indulgences, right, in the Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. Everybody wants to find a different way. Why don't we look at the Scripture and find this plan and execute this plan in the best way that we can? And as we make our plans for our, our future, not just as a church, but also as individual Christians trying to grow, remember sometimes we take the long view. I remember sitting in an interview for a minister. And it was a person that was going to come live and work with uh, an expat church in, in uh, Beijing long time ago. And I remember, remember sitting with the crew as the, as the interviewing crew and reading through the resumes, talking about these issues. And then they would have people come on and we would have phone calls and we would talk to, to this person and kind of find out, feel them out, figure out where they're at. We were reading, this is back when blogs were brand spanking new. They were just ugly text, you know, no fancy. And this particular guy, was a younger guy, he had a, a blog that he asked a question that he was exploring in his faith. He said, I, I, I grew up in the church. I studied at, you know, one of our brotherhood schools. I said, I, I'm good at what I do, but I just have this question I haven't explored yet. Well, the person who was making the final hiring decision actually didn't want to hire this person. And I said, why not? And one of the wiser crew among us said, well, he's, he's just not there yet, but he's okay. And they ended up giving him a, a, a shot. But it's interesting to me that there was a person wise enough to take the longer view and say, they're just not there yet. It's not that they're so far off the path that we're worried about them. So we're not talking about straying. We're not talking about denominationalism. None of the real isms and schisms that create huge gaps, right, between somebody you might hire. We're talking about somebody who is maturing in their faith. They have a question. They have a doubt. And they're asking because they want to know, do they really believe, do they really know what they believe? Do we have a long-term view, a long-term plan knowing that there are individuals that enter into the faith or are looking for faith, that we can understand that they're not quite where they need to be. Because in truth, we're on a continuum of maturity. And we may have obeyed the gospel and followed that plan, but are we planning for our own growth and our own individual success? I would hope that's true. Because <clears throat> I tend to take a long view and as much as we want to have things happen right away, I mean, if you watch the media, it sounds like we can have it all, right? We can have it all right now. Have it your way right away, right? But sometimes I think we need to lay, sit down and make some plans and pray about those plans and then execute them. And I think that helps us to take the long view and really set ourselves up for future growth. That's my prayer for you. Brethren, if you are struggling in your faith, maybe you have made decisions that you're bearing the consequence for and you need prayers. Maybe you have not obeyed the gospel. That is the entry point. 
of a new and wonderful life that you can live with Christ. Brethren, if you need that, please don't hesitate to come forward. Come forward now as we stand and as we